Bikes have always just been a natural part of my life. I don't consider myself a cyclist, um, but I consider myself a person who rides a bike and who has really always ridden a bike. Commuted in, in college when my wife and I first got married, commuted to class and I had an opportunity. I was playing football for the University of Arkansas, uh, playing D-line. And uh, we got married and was training, work, kind of working out for the draft, and, and uh, we had one vehicle. And so I commuted to class and, and, and working out uh, via bike. And uh, so bikes have just always been a, a part of my life and an important part of my life. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Active Towns podcast, conversations about creating a culture of activity. My name is John Simmerman, founder of the Active Towns Initiative, and I'm honored to serve as your host during this podcast journey. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's always wonderful to have you along for the ride. Today is Friday, the 12th day of February, 2021. And in this week's episode, I'm super stoked to share this conversation with Ryan Hale, founder of Lane Shift in Bentonville, Arkansas, about the amazing culture of activity transformation that has been underway in the Northwest Arkansas region over the past couple of decades. It's a narrative that serves as a testament to what is possible, and I believe it's an inspiring story for other cities across North America, and perhaps even around the world. But first, before we launch into that discussion, please allow me a moment to recognize that this episode is being brought to you by the generous contributions of our donors, sponsors, and monthly patrons on our Patreon page. Thank you all so very much for your amazing support. And if you too would like to help support the podcast, please head over to my website at activetowns, that's plural, .org, and simply click on that blue donate link in the top right corner of the page. As always, for your convenience, I've included a link in the show notes and on the landing page for this episode. One last thing before we get started. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to and rate the Active Towns podcast on your preferred listening platform. This serves two primary purposes. One, it will help to ensure that you won't miss an episode. And two, it also helps enhance the visibility of the podcast for those who might be searching for something to listen to. Thanks. Okay, climb aboard. Let's get this conversation with Ryan Hale rolling. Ryan, it's so wonderful to connect with you here today. Welcome to the Active Towns podcast. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having us today. It's uh, it's been a real pleasure to uh, to to get to know you recently and and to to hear about your mission. So thanks for having us. Absolutely. Well, first off. Thank you so much for taking time because I know you are incredibly busy right now and it, it, it's going to be wonderful to like understand more about the emergence of a culture of activity and specifically bike culture in Northwest Arkansas. I had mentioned to you before that I've been meaning to get up there and I just haven't been able to do it. So this is a great opportunity for me and hopefully the listeners will really uh, appreciate that. And then we'll also talk a little bit about your firm lane shift. But before we dive into all that, can you briefly share just a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I've lived in Northwest Arkansas, called Northwest Arkansas home for most of my life. Been here 30 years. Uh, I'm married and native and spent most of my career as a banker, commercial banker, really working specifically with, uh, with clients to develop solutions, primarily financial solutions that could kind of help them, in, in, whether it's their small business or in their personal lives, and then had an opportunity to do some consulting for a firm, an organization kind of operating out of John Brown University called the Soderquist Center. And then beginning in 2011, I had the real honor to join the program staff at the Walton Family Foundation. And I was with the Walton Family Foundation from 2011 through 2016, and uh, was really hyper-focused on arts and culture, diversity and inclusion, economic development, really helping uh, shepherd uh, projects and, and helping, uh, in a sense, kind of working on strategic philanthropy on behalf of the Walton Family Foundation. And so my, my time really during that five and a half years really became focused on, a lot of that time was focused on trails and mobility. And so working in highly 
you know, somewhat highly politicized environments and, and working to move projects forward uh, within cities and local partners and, and that sort of thing. And so after my time at the foundation, you know, I'd had really for, for many, many years, just a real desire, just a, a personal desire to, to uh, own my own business. And uh, through that time of building solutions and working with, uh, with customers and that sort of thing in banking, and then really kind of gaining a lot of that project execution experience around trails and mobility and moving, moving projects forward. I had the opportunity to launch my own firm. And so we launched uh, lane shift in 2017 and uh, really proud to say that, uh, you know, as a, as a small business and as a, as a kind of a small boutique firm, we made it over that first initial hump of three years in, in business. A, a lot of small businesses are not able to make it, you know, to that point. And so we've been, uh, we've been really, really blessed and, and honored to, to work with, uh, with customers over the last four years. Fantastic. So personally for you, because I know a big part of Lane Shift is is looking at bikes and bike culture and a, a lot of what we're going to be talking about in terms of the uh, culture of activity in Northwest Arkansas is surrounding bikes. What's your origin story and your interest with bikes? Yeah, well, a, a, lo- a lot of that, uh, I would say, it is tied to my time with the Walton Family Foundation. But I go back to bikes have always just been a natural part of my life. I don't consider myself a cyclist, um, but I consider myself a person who rides a bike and who has really always ridden a bike. Uh, commuted in, in college when my wife and I first got married, commuted to class, and I had an opportunity. I was playing football for the University of Arkansas, uh, playing D-line, and uh, we got married and was training, work, kind of working out for the draft. And, and uh, we had one vehicle. And so I commuted to class and, and, and working out uh, by a bike. And uh, so bikes have just always been a, a part of my life and an important part of my life. And it really didn't become kind of a, a craft for me, if you will, until I started working for the Walton Family Foundation. And so during my time there, working uh, on behalf of the family to move projects forward and, and kind of oversee those philanthropic investments for them here in this community. I was hyper-focused on Benton and Washington County. Um, that's uh, Bentonville in the north and then Fayetteville in the south. And Bentonville is, is the home of Walmart and, and many other supplier and vendor and many other great businesses. And then Fayetteville is, is really kind of known for the University of Arkansas. And so we kind of had these two major anchors in the north and the south with several other Fortune 500 or Fortune 100 companies in between as well. So I really helped present a lot of the philanthropic investments related to trails and mobility on behalf of the foundation. Got had the opportunity to work on the very front side of projects like the Razorback Regional Greenway which uh, ultimately completed a 36-mile project that linked the north to the south, uh, Fayetteville to Bentonville, and, and, and vice versa, uh, completed the roughly 17-mile middle portion through a federal Tiger grant. Uh, I was fortunate to be able to write the, the, the grant to provide the local match for that and was on the, the core project team that worked on a weekly basis to move that project forward with, with others as well. Large regional projects such as, uh, which a lot of your listeners may not be familiar with, but large regional projects like uh, Mount Kessler Regional Park and, and the Bella Vista Back 40 system, uh, Lake Atlanta and, and Rogers. And so really through that, I gained a lot of uh, project experience, implementation experience and execution experience and working with multiple partners in a somewhat politicized environment consensus building, if you will, to, to move projects forward. And, and during that time, just gained a lot of uh, experience that, that when we launched Lane Shift, it was really just an opportunity to say, wow, I've had kind of a world-class education here over the past five and a half years. And there's a lot of information here that a lot of cities are really looking for and, and a lot of communities and developers and businesses. And so uh, through that time, we were just really passionate about helping teach other people how to do this and, and how to build consensus and how to move projects forward. And that was really the genesis for Lane Shift was we believe in biking. We believe in that communities that embrace biking 
communities that embrace uh, activity are stronger, period. And so we just, we believed that at our core. And really, we wanted more people to know that. And we wanted to help more communities and more people do more of the stuff that we've done in Northwest Arkansas that's been that's been uh, recognized really across the world. And we wanted to, to teach other communities how to do that same thing. Cool, cool. So this is this is a, another more personal thing, but uh, since you played, you know, at you athletics at a very very high level, and 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 I will mention that you were on a Super Bowl team with the New York Giants. Is it sort of entertaining and interesting to you to see uh, some high level athletes embracing the bike for uh, utilitarian purposes, like you know LeBron James is is you know infamously you know or famously <laughs> you know out there on a bike and, and trying to encourage more people, especially kids to get out on bikes. So talk a little bit about, you know, when you're seeing that happening, you're like, yeah, that was me. I, <laughs> I rode all through college. Yeah. You know, I, I love that. I love to see people using their platform for good in uh, whether it's LeBron James or Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or, or, uh, Gabby Reese, or, you know, we could go on and on and on of, of pro athletes that use their platform for, for something beyond themselves. And so obviously uh, I love to see that and anything related to biking, definitely my, my interest uh, peaks for sure. Um, you know, the thing that I love about that the most, the thing that I love about the bike is that it, it is, uh, it's, a, it's a symbol of, of, of freedom and, and, and liberty, if you will, to be able to, uh, what we teach a lot, and uh, we're just going to dive into it here, what we teach a lot through our educational programs is that the, the bike is, uh, infrastructure and, and culture are both needed in order to build out a, a robust network. Okay, so for many, many years in the industry, we believed that if you build it, they will come. And I think time has shown that it's that's not quite that simple. And we would love it to be that easy. But really, if you build it, you incent it, you encourage it, you program it and you encourage it some more you, and you train people on it, it, it'll get used. And so all those other elements are really the cultural aspect. And so it's, we talk a lot about to build out a, a, a bike network or build out a bike strong community. You really need both uh, healthy parts, infrastructure and, and, and culture together. And simply put, the, the biggest barrier to people riding is safe, access to safe places to ride. But if infrastructure and safe places to ride gets you to the game, culture keeps you in the game. And so it has to be both. And so we talk a lot about and where I see people like LeBron and others utilizing the bike is that it's not just about building cool stuff for cool people, right? It's not just about, you know, building a bike lane in an area that's, that's upwardly mobile and, 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 uh, and, and gentrifying for, for people wearing skinny jeans and messenger bags. This is critical infrastructure. And, and we believe that we believe that, access to safe, comfortable, and connected infrastructure is not only good for that community, it's just simply the right thing to do. And so when I see somebody like LeBron, you know, talking about a bike, there is way more behind, behind that other than just getting fit. You know, getting fit and, and, you know, access to the outdoors and that's all important. But we also know that there's a huge portion of our population who are living in poverty who don't have access to reliable transportation. And when you don't have access to reliable transportation, your opportunities in life are significantly limited, both from a health standpoint, a wealth standpoint, building capital, uh, jobs, college, you know, healthcare. And so that was a long answer, John, but I think that's the part that excites me the most is that we can, we, we're not just looking at the bike as a, hey, you know, play 60 minutes or go get fit initiative. It's actually saying, no, this is essential and critical infrastructure. And, and we need this within our communities because there's a, a wide swath of the population 
that many of us may not fully understand what it's like to be able to not have access to reliable transportation, to just go get in a car and go to a doctor's appointment or run to work or run to college or whatever. And so building out this infrastructure and building out a healthy culture is, is actually very important to help making the community strong. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm absolutely on the same page with you there too. It's, it's, it's encouraging when we do see these high profile people getting out on the bike. It's even more encouraging when the way that they get out on the bike is for more along the lines of utilitarian purposes, helping to normalize that getting out and, and riding a bike can be something incredibly powerful and empowering for somebody. And, and as to your point, it also is something that, that helps make mobility more equitable, especially for people who don't have the means to be able to plop down a whole bunch of money to buy and maintain a motor vehicle. Let's do this. A lot of my listeners, I'm sure, are not real sure what Northwest Arkansas is like. Can you describe the, the region a little bit? Yeah, so we, uh, we are located in, obviously in the north, northwest corner of the state. And um, we are really two adjoining counties is what makes up Northwest Arkansas. And as a region over the last 10 years, we've spent a lot of time and energy um, like many regions, Austin and, and Louisville and Lexington and others that have said, you know what, we have to recognize that we are in a competition for talent. We need talent and we need, we need talent to, to work for companies at all levels within Northwest Arkansas. And we need people to not only, we need to help make this a, a viable and neat place to live, work, and play. And so the region locked arms together to really focus on improving the quality of life here over the last 20 years. Let, let's face it, uh, we've come a long ways in Arkansas, but when you say, Oftentimes, the, the word Arkansas outside of Arkansas, you know, sometimes there can there can be a lot of different reactions to that. And so around perceptions of who we are. And so we've worked really hard as a region over the last 20 years to lock arms and say, we're going to battle against those perceptions and we're going to battle to to be forward thinking. We're going to be we're going to battle towards and, and take positive steps towards helping change the perception that many people have had about about Northwest Arkansas and Arkansas as a whole. Uh, we, we've known that those those perceptions aren't true, but oftentimes outside of here, you know, it takes a concerted effort for people to understand that. And so we've as a region locked arms. And, and one of the things that we've done is, is really tried to promote regionalism. And so if you talk to somebody from Northwest Arkansas, very rarely will, will you hear them say, I'm from Bentonville or I'm from Fayetteville or I'm from Silent Springs or Springdale. Usually the, the, the first response is I'm from Northwest Arkansas. And that's really by design. We've really tried to work to change our vernacular from referring to one particular city now, if somebody has a follow-up question, yeah, I specifically live in Bentonville, but by and large, most people will say I live in Northwest Arkansas, and that's been something that's kind of begun to ring across, you know, across a lot of people here in the region when they talk about where they're from. And so that's been intentional, and so we're we're made up of about five hundred thousand, a little over five hundred thousand people. Where we we had been and still are growing really consistently. We have, uh, you know, the region is very attractive to a lot of people. We have a high quality of life. We have access to recreation. We have access to really good schools. You know, our, our, our cost of living is, is very manageable here. You know, crime rates are, are, are relatively low. And so a lot of people are looking in the Northwest Arkansas and, and maybe even some over the years Who've, who have been working for a vendor office or, you know, maybe they, maybe they sell batteries or detergent to Walmart. And, you know, in the early days it was, well, I need to go kind of put in my time on that account. But as soon as I can, I'm going to leave there because that doesn't feel like a place I want to live long-term if I'm coming from a large metro area. 
And what we started finding is those people would come to Northwest Arkansas to serve that big account and then recognize, I don't want to leave. We want to stay here. And so it's become a place that's uh, become really attractive in large part, I think, because the quality of life is, is very high here. And, and that's not been that's not been by accident. You know, there's been there's been a lot of people in the region who've been curating that to help make that true. And I would just say that if in any other community across the country, it takes intentionality to create a space um, in a region that people want to live. And, and we locked arms as a region. We have several uh, large organizations working uh, to that end. Uh, one being the Northwest Arkansas Council, uh, made up of many of our region's largest business leaders, uh, have come together and they have a plan for, for growth around economic development and health and education and lots of different, many regions have a similar you know, similar entity, but they've been hyper-focused on, on uh, community and economic development have done a great job in helping uh, promote regionalism. So about 500,000 people in, in our region made up of about 25 cities that have at least a thousand people or more. Uh, but um, the major populations are concentrated in six major cities that are located along one major corridor on Interstate 49 with the city of Bella Vista in the north and then Fayetteville in the south. Uh, places like uh, Bella Vista, Bentonville, Rogers, Springdale, Salem Springs, and Fayetteville. Fantastic. And what's the topography like? Uh, obviously, mountain biking is is the area that uh, the, 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 the region sort of honed in on, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but I'm going to assume there's access to mountains or trails or hills or something like that inherent to the the topography of the area oh yeah yeah well, we're smack dab in the ozarks and uh, and so there's a as we call them here there's a lot of hills and hollers and so there's a there's a lot of topography changes uh, i wouldn't say that we have the type of mountains that you would see in colorado utah or, or in the tetons but the ozarks present a lot of really uh, opportunistic topography, if you will, particularly for to, uh, particularly for mountain biking. And so, what's been really neat is in areas that are are traditionally unbuildable because of you know you might have a ravine or a, a depression in the land. Now all of a sudden, we've figured out, and our trail builders and, and teams have figured out how to actually utilize that space. Uh, in, in, in building mountain biking trails into that. And so while our topography is conducive to mountain biking, we don't have the elevation gain that we might have in the, in, a, you know, in the Rockies or someplace like that, but we use our topography really well and we maximize it really well. And where we need to, we, we do build features. And so we'll, we'll, build, we'll build a bridge or we'll build a drop-in uh, to create some of that elevation on a, on a downhill flow trail or something like that. So, um, but yeah, the topography works really uh, well for us on the mountain biking side. There are challenges to that on the transportation side from an alternative transportation standpoint when you are trying to build a shared use paid path and you've got a pretty significant elevation change. It, it, the, the cost of that uh, when you start looking at building in uh, the retaining walls and all of that. And then also just the experience at times, it, it can be challenging because of some of the topography uh, that we have here on the specifically on the transportation side. But it's one of the things I love about the e-bike, uh, particularly in the Ozarks, is the fact that the e-bike really helps neutralize some of that and takes, takes some of that uh, climb out of it for people and, and all of a sudden where somebody might be able to say, well, I, I, you know, we have too much topography, uh, you know, I'll be hot and sweaty before I get, get to class. I may not be able to solve the hot and sweaty part, but I can, I can save you some effort uh, by, by introducing you to a new button. When we return after this short intermission in the action, Ryan addresses the positive impact of having convenient access to trails within the Northwest Arkansas cities. He provides the backstory to the lane shift name while summarizing their main services. And he addresses the value of your voice in moving change forward within your communities and neighborhoods. 
But before we transition into those discussions, allow me a moment for this quick request. If you're enjoying the Active Towns podcast, please consider sharing it within your network. You'll be helping me expand the audience and provide additional momentum to the culture of activity movement. Thank you. Okay, that's all for this brief break. Let's bring our conversation with Ryan Hale back up to speed. I, I have to tell you the you know that whole region, the Northwest Arkansas region, hit my radar screen a few years ago when I launched the Active Towns Initiative, and I was traveling all over the country, profiling cities and regions that were starting to develop a culture of activity. And Northwest Arkansas just kept hitting the radar screen. People, in fact, I had friends that moved from Boulder, Colorado to Northwest Arkansas simply because it became a conducive environment for them to be able to access the trails. And correct me if I'm wrong, because I know uh, the mayor of Eagle, Colorado, really, you know, sort of put forward the concept of, hey, you can ride from your doorstep to the trails there in in Eagle. Is it similar? Can you actually access a lot of the trails right from your doorstep? Yeah, that's a, it's actually a really, really distinctive point john for northwest arkansas that i would i would surface that you know sometimes people say you know what's unique about northwest arkansas you know you've got areas across the country that have maybe more miles or more elevation gain or you know and and i would say probably so there is a special sauce with us the ability to literally from a traditional, let's let's use Bentonville for an example, from a traditional downtown, really cute downtown area within our town to be able to have uh, an exquisite local craft brew and then be able to, within two blocks, literally two blocks, to be able to hop on world-class mountain biking trails and access from there around 150 miles and never ride the same trail is a distinctive for us. The ability, the accessibility to uh, our built environment into our downtown, I think is is a distinctive for us. Um, and if you look in, in each of our, our large communities that I listed that were along that Interstate 49, you have a similar dynamic in Rogers, from their downtown area, they have a bike park that's on par with Valmont in Boulder. It's located within a block of our traditional downtown area in Rogers. And then access to another 10 miles of mountain biking trails and a couple miles of shared use paved pathway, Fayetteville, similar. You've got, um, you know, within a couple miles of the downtown area. So the ability to ride and, and then also eat and, and sleep and you know, enjoy some craft brew is part of what's the secret sauce for us that's really special. So you can get a really nice, we have a really a growing culinary scene here. You can get a really nice dinner uh, or go ride, ride in, park your bike in the bike rack, walk in and get a really, really nice dinner or lunch at one of our, one of our really cool local restaurants. And that's a distinctive for us. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah. So you've been in the area for 30 some odd years. Your your wife is originally from there. When you look at a cultural shift, you know, how, how are some of the old timers and, and the folks that, you know, you are born and raised in the area? How, how's that working? Are you starting to see them embracing this or is there resistance to it? What's sort of the dynamic? Mm-hmm. I would say it's really, maybe I'll take that in two parts. I think first, for many of us in the industry, John, for a lot of years, we looked at, we looked at our constituents or people that we were working with and we said, this is going to make an economic difference. But there wasn't a lot of really definitive evidence in studies that, I mean, there were pockets and some of it was old, and, but nobody had really taken a really deep dive and really analyzed the economic impact of biking in an area until 2017. And so our region worked with uh, People for Bikes and BBC Consulting to develop an economic impact study for Northwest Arkansas. 
And so for the first time, we were able to kind of point to that and say, hey, $137 million annually. Now, this was two, three, four years ago now. $137 million annually is what our region, is what the impact is from biking on our region. About 86 million of that is health related. So people are riding more, they have less incidents, uh, uh, lower mental health issues, uh, lower health issues, and just generally healthier, about 86 million of that. And another 51 million of that was tr true economic impact. So people staying in hotels, people buying bikes, people drinking beer, you know, those sorts of things. So 137 million. So for the first time, we were able to really point to and say, for our region, you know, this is no longer us groping in the dark and saying, hey, trust us on this. No, we had definitive evidence. And so when you stand in front of a mayor's council and others, and you're saying, like, if you invest in these things, uh, you know, in safe infrastructure and culture and mountain bike trails, help me understand how that wouldn't be a good investment. You know, we have the research here to show that. And so that's been really helpful to actually have the data and the research to back that up. I will say that there is still a tension that exists between the recreation and the transportation side. You know, building a uh, shared use paid pathway is, is not easy. I don't want to say that it's easy, but in the overall grand scheme of things on alternative transportation, it's probably the easiest thing that a person or that a city can build. It's uh, typically, it'll be through a greenfield or in it's off-road and it's really a lot of times your biggest barrier there is either access through or entitlement through property or funding. But when you start looking at doing on-street infrastructure, that is the that is the hardest part of our work in, in bike advocacy and in, in our industry is because it represents the largest change to the majority user. Uh, and so if you take a road that's you know, 60 feet wide, and you look at that and you say, wow, we can put one-way protected bike lanes on either side. Most of the vehicle users are going to look at that and they're going to feel the most change. And they're the majority user. And so that's the hardest work. And I think here in our region, I think we've recognized that, man, we've made great strides on the recreation side. It, we have an economic engine of people coming to Northwest Arkansas just to visit and ride our trails. And that engine is, is, a, is a flywheel, I guess, if you maybe is a better term. And that flywheel has a lot of momentum. And we've got some really, really good infrastructure, safe, comfortable, and connected infrastructure, but a lot of it is shared use pay pathways. And so the area that's kind of the next phase for us as a region that we really have to get serious about is on street and it's the hardest work because it, it takes the, the the most political courage and the most political capital it's funding is not its biggest issue you know because funding and on street you know a, a road diet and a, and a bike lane it can be done at a fraction of the cost of what uh, a shared use paid pathway would cost you know our, our trails here shared use paid pathways are somewhere between 250, $250 to $300 a linear foot to build. You know, we can build bike lanes, you know, at 100 or less. And so in terms of funding, funding's not the issue. It's, it's, it's the political side. And so that's where our biggest opportunity, but also our biggest challenge lies is, is uh, moving from recreation, to transportation, and then also the on-street side. Um, I'll make this last point is we often talk about that focusing on a trails only or a shared use paid path only approach to building on a bike network would be just like building a, a road network that's only focused on interstates. You know, you just simply need other types of facilities to move from somebody's front door over to an interstate if you want to move from one part of the region to the other. But that's where on-street can play a role is, is really helping mode share because now people feel safe leaving their garage and accessing multiple facilities, different types of facilities 
within within a uh, within a network. And and I think that's I think myself and others here locally that are working in the industry would would agree with that. That that's the on street side is a is a tremendous opportunity for us in the future. And if we want to continue to kind of change the culture here of activity and not you know from recreation over to transportation, the on street is where we've got to be. I like that analogy that you just had there, and I'm going to have to think on that a little bit more because that might be a fun thing to dive deeper into at some point in time. I also kind of get a sense as to how you came up with the name of your firm, <laughs> Lane Shift, and uh, we'll, we'll dive into that too. But I want to stick with culture for just one more moment because I also see a culture shift that's happening. Yeah, yeah. It's a great point, John. And um you know, I do. I, I think uh, so. It, it this approach has to be a multi-pronged approach. Uh, it has to, I hate to call it a battle, but to to promote this culture of activity, you have to approach it from multiple fronts, as you know. And we have a healthy tourism aspect, uh, a healthy tourism flywheel, like we talked about, of of you know tourism dollars that are being all across the country, helping promote our region, have people come here and ride. And so that's going to continue and that's, that's working well for us. But when we talk about building bike strong communities, we, we talk about that not only is this good for your economy, but it's also good for your residents and it has to be both. Uh, otherwise, we have an analogy that's that's maybe similar to the movie Funny Farm, where you know we do all this that it's really just staged and there's really no nothing's really happening at the, at the community level, and that, and that's not the case in Northwest Arkansas. You know, we definitely have our our residents here and the people that live here uh, have definitely embraced biking and an activity of culture. Um, talk about that in a couple ways. Probably six years ago, well, I would actually say probably eight years ago, we understood when I was still working at the Walton Family Foundation that that in order for us to scale and grow our our community in terms of biking, that we couldn't just focus on the grass tops. So we couldn't just focus on, you know, adults and, and, and mayors and, and city council people and, and stakeholders if you will, we really needed to focus at the grassroots. And so we developed a bike education program uh, about eight years ago where it started in Bensonville and then it went into each of the large school districts across the region where at, uh, when that program was in full force, you had over 4,000 bikes in the school districts across Northwest Arkansas and about 30,000 kids a year were receiving bicycle education within the school district and within their PE class. And so there were things like, you know, trail etiquette, local trail names, history of trails, you know, how to ride a bike, you know, and so kids were getting immersed in bike culture uh, from, a, from a young age. And that's really helped grow our, our region in terms of our, our communities embracing biking. And it's not just for tourists. We actually have a thriving bike culture here of our residents who ride for transportation, for fitness, for just just fun. That coupled with, I would say, probably six years ago, six or seven years ago, that coupled with a, a, a heavy push into NICAP, the National Interscholastic Cycling Association. We really grew NICA here locally as well. So the Bike Ed program, coupled with NICA, and then uh, that bike ed program really expanded and really started getting into what's called the Outride program or, or, or working with Bike MWA, our local advocacy group. They really took and improved upon that early bike ed program. And really, I think the, the biggest change to that is they made it a program that, that schools could apply for. And so now schools really had ownership to say, this is something that we want to see. We're going to help ensure its success. And uh, that I would say those investments at the grassroots level have made a tremendous impact on, on our residents here and getting more and more people riding. Because, you know, if you think it started eight years ago, if you were in, if you were in sixth grade 
and you were 12 years old, you know, eight years ago, you're 20 years old now. And so now, you know, it's woven into your lifestyle. And um, so those were, those were some of the investments to kind of speak to the culture of activity that's, that's focused not just on the tourism side, but also helping our residents and our community grow as well. Beautiful, beautiful. So you mentioned the Bike Strong communities and front and center on the Lane Shift site is, of course, the Bike Strong self-evaluation tool. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. A lot of communities or, or clients will ask, well, what do you do first? And then how can we work with you? And so the evaluation tool is just simply for us, it's a conversation starter. You know, it's not a scientific evaluation of where you're at as a city or, you know, empirical data. It's really just to say, you know, from your opinion, whether you're a city planner, city engineer, mayor, advocate, whatever, you know, where do we think we're, where do we think we are at in terms of our bike infrastructure and our bike culture? And are we as strong as we need to be and want to be as a community? And so for us, that tool was really just a conversation starter to say, let's go ahead and have you fill out this evaluation. And then let's talk about that. You know, where do you see, uh, and and a lot of what we're finding is a lot of communities that are in that, you know, 6,000 to maybe 15,000 in population are kind of looking into communities like Bentonville or Fayetteville or others and saying, man, we, we want some of that. We're not even sure where to begin. We want more biking. We, we're willing to put some funding behind that in terms of building infrastructure and whatnot, but we're just not sure where to start. You know, we, we haven't been able to, as a city, afford $150,000 bike and ped master plan or active transportation plan or something like that. But but if we just had kind of a roadmap, if you will, of, of, of highlights of, you know, can you help us with that? And so that's really the genesis for that was really, let's start a conversation. And a lot of times for us, when we're reviewing these with the cities, we're, we're actually surfacing things that they hadn't thought of before. Like, wow, we haven't had a comprehensive plan update in 20 years. Now, John, for you and I, for you and I, and those of us in the industry, this can be a head scratcher that you can be a, a city, you know, ten thousand people, and not have updated your comprehensive plan in twenty years. That's you know, you wonder how you know how did you get there? And it's not about shame, and it's not about making you feel guilty, but it's saying let's talk about that. You probably need to update that. First, you know, first and foremost, you should probably have a good comprehensive plan that talks about zoning and land use and and how you want to grow. Otherwise, you're just going to promote sprawl. And so if you really want to preserve your sense of place within your community, you might want to first and foremost look at your comprehensive plan. And your comprehensive plan probably should include, not probably, should include active transportation of some sort. And so the tool is really designed to be a conversation starter to provide kind of a baseline for a lot of cities, you know, in transparency, John, we're, we're not under, under any, uh, uh, any delusions that Austin is going to take our bike strong community, you know, evaluation. They've got people on staff focused on bike and ped. They've got, you know, strong plans there's a lot of focus on that there, but there's a lot of communities, rural communities, who really just need a shot in the arm. And they really just need somebody to kind of help coach and teach them around what are the first steps that we need to take. And unfortunately, the first step that you take isn't always go get a $150,000, $200,000 bike and ped plan. And I'm sure some of my, my planning friends are cringing hearing me say that, but a lot of times there's early work, there's early investments that can be done that set those baseline conditions that help make those next investments much more fruitful, if you will, have a higher chance of success. And so things like, you know, oftentimes one of the, one of the things that we tell cities and when we're talking to them is, hey, really, really consider a bike ed program. As a, as a first step, you know, you, you can apply or, or, or work with all kids bike and put in a bike program in your school 
you know, and that could be an early, uh, you know, an early investment. And so the, a lot of that is just starting the conversation, help doing some, some teaching, some coaching, some educating on what are those next steps. Yeah. And, and I can make some assumptions that I think I know how you came up with the name of your organization, but I'm going to step back and let you explain lane shift. Yeah. Well, a lot of this, I would say, you know, I had an opportunity to, I would say, career enhancing experience when I had the opportunity to kind of help write a grant and, and help lead a delegation to Copenhagen with, with people for bikes and their staff. And it was um, life changing, I guess would be, you know, very impactful, career changing, career enhancing to go there and recognize that was my first time uh, being going to Europe, going to a city like that. And to do it with other peers from Northwest Arkansas was tremendously impactful. And to see how biking is woven into, you know, you've, you've been, you've been to Europe. I think you mentioned you've been to Copenhagen before. Um, It's really hard to explain (laughs) until you actually see that and you see how biking is woven into people's everyday lives there. And so for me, it was a, it was a life changing moment. And, and I came back and I think probably the, the biggest takeaway from that was recognizing how focused that our cities in the U.S. are around moving cars and how much of our dollars are spent on moving vehicles around our city centers. And the big switch for me that came through uh, Jen, Jen Dice and Martha and, and others on the staff at People for Bikes as we were there was like recognizing, wait a minute, let's move people. What's the most efficient way to move people through like our downtown in Bentonville? It's on bike or on foot. And so that was the big, wait for it, the big shift, if you will, for me was that shift in thinking around focused on cars alone and, and focus on moving people. And so I don't know that there's necessarily any intrinsic magic to the name. It's just a, it's just a catchy name and it's, essentially helping you shift your thinking from focus on vehicles alone to actually focus on moving people. So shifting your lane, if you will, is is really, really kind of started with the exposure that I had through the study tour in Copenhagen and then kind of developed from there. Yeah. And I think it's brilliant too, in, in many ways, because you, you look at Copenhagen and as a European model for North American cities, it's a pretty good one because the roadway system there is is really quite wide. I find Copenhagen to be much more analogous for many North American cities than uh, going to Amsterdam. So both Rotterdam and Copenhagen are sort of my go-to places, if you're going to think of internationally, that have really impressive numbers of people, mode share of people who ride for everyday use. And in the case of Rotterdam, they are a city that was completely destroyed in World War II. And so they built back under a North American car first centric model. And then only in the last 10 to 15 years started to reverse course on that. And now they're in many ways, they're similar in you know to many large North American cities of trying to shift those lanes, to shift that right of way right. to be able to move, focus on moving more people versus moving cars. Now, you mentioned that you were on the study tour, and a big part of what you do as a firm is education and immersion efforts. Talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. Well, I think a, a lot of it really just stemmed from, you know, I, I had in my time at the Sodoco Center, who I've mentioned before, I had really started to understand the power of experiential learning and the ability to be immersed around a topic or with peers uh, around. And, and when I was with the Sodoco Center, it was really around leadership and and business principles and and that sort of thing. And so what I started recognizing was, wow, this is powerful to be able to experience something 
with a group of peers or colleagues or, or others in the industry is super powerful because I saw the power of that uh, with me when I did that study tour in 2016. And so as we started looking at really I, when I started looking at the things that I'm most passionate about as a person and as a professional, it was it's a lot about life on life, one on one. And it's a lot about imparting I hate to call it wisdom, but just imparting knowledge and, and sharing knowledge back and forth. And I saw how powerful that was in a former life with Soderquist and then, and then also saw that on the study tour. And, and those were the areas that I felt like I was particularly gifted in and strong in, in areas that I was particularly passionate in. And so we started just developing this idea around, wait a minute, Northwest Arkansas, there's a lot here. And so we started really viewing Northwest Arkansas as a bit of a laboratory because there's a lot of energy and people kind of looking in and saying, wow, what are they doing there? And, you know, I just, I had an opportunity have to have, you know, I hate to say this, but kind of worked behind the velvet rope here for many, many years and, and saw the, the story arc, if you will, for our region around bikes and was, and played a part and played a role in that. And so, I felt like I was uniquely positioned and our firm was uniquely positioned to be able to do these experiential learning tours, trips, experiences, whatever you want to call them. And uh, we have seen just a tremendous, tremendous embrace uh, or reception to, to our program. So we really do that through two ways. We do really kind of two products or services, if you will. One is called a, a, just a study tour. And our study tours, we really focus on, those are really focused on teams. And so like we're working with a city that we kind of worked with another planning firm to provide the educational component. And, and so we're bringing their city staff and chamber and others into Northwest Arkansas for a couple of days to learn from us and hear the story. And so you go through that together and we've done that with other cities and even local businesses and design firms who are really strong on the design side and cutting edge design, but needed some work around what's that mean for mobility and how do we create equitable spaces that are equitable to all from a mobility standpoint. And so our study tours, again, are designed for groups or teams that want to come in and learn together. They're typically a business day. Uh, we can actually extend those into an overnight, but we typically keep those during the day. Uh, and then also, in addition to that, we have a program called Build School. And Build School is really designed for individual and professional development. And so if you're a city engineer, you're a developer, city planner, parks and rec, you know, advocate. Build School is a four-day immersive program. We do, and we touch on some of the things that we touch on in our study tours, but we're able to go much deeper. And so a lot of people that come to us, we've had a developer group from Guatemala come in and, and bring their three partners and, and stay with us. And people from the region and actually have some people scheduled to come in from Austin uh, this year. And so what we try to do is we try to give people the full experience. And so we put people in uh, a hotel or a home in a downtown walkable environment. And many people have never lived in that environment before. And we try to help that light bulb come on that, oh, wait a minute, I can ride out my front door and, and access to this safe infrastructure. And what would that do? if we implemented more of this back in our city. So study tours are for teams. Build School is a four-day immersive program that's focused on individual developments and equipping you to be able to go back and, and actually uh, implement more bike-strong infrastructure and bike-strong culture uh, back, in, back in your town or on your project. So. Yeah. And I know you had a, uh, a pretty big study tour planned for 2020 that got interrupted by the pandemic. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? And uh, assuming things settle down, 
you have some pretty exciting news or, or visions for uh, additional study tours other than bringing people just into Northwest Arkansas, but also going out right. uh, because you were so impacted or, or influenced by your experience in Copenhagen. So talk a little bit about that. Right. I'm glad you brought that up. You know, study tours are typically here in Northwest Arkansas with the team. Build School is here in Northwest Arkansas, primarily around individuals or professionals. And then we have a kind of a third aspect of our education, which is called our excursions. And our excursions are where we will choose a domestic city and, and eventually we will choose an international city. Our first excursion was to happen in March of 2020. And you all are probably doing the math in your head about uh, a week before we were to leave. We had 14 people, hotels booked, you know, restaurants, bikes, a whole tour if, of Manhattan and Brooklyn, meeting with different stakeholders and, and, and whatnot there in the city. We were working with uh, Doug Gordon with the Brooklyn Spoke to help us act as our shepherd. A week before we needed to leave, we had to postpone the trip. And so we weren't able to go in 2020. And, and uh, we've since made the decision that for 2021, going back to New York City this year is going to be a real challenge for us for lots of reasons. And so we are, we are actively working um, with John to, to act as our shepherd, active towns to act as our shepherd to move our study tour for 2021 to, to Austin. And so we're looking at doing two smaller groups to help us with COVID, um, we're looking in in the fall of 2021. So, I'm hopeful that some of your listeners we may may uh, may bump into you guys, distanced, of course. And I think we're all hopeful that by the fall, um, that things are going to look a lot different for us here uh, with the vaccine. So, you know, 19, we were super excited about the excursion aspect of our of our business, and, and COVID changed that. So we had to pivot and uh, pivot and kind of go a bit of a different direction. And we're able to run that trip uh, and do that trip in 2021. And, and people are super excited about that. And I think in, in 22 and beyond, we'll be back to New York City. Uh, New York is a strong place. They've recovered from, from other national, uh, national tragedies and, and things like that. New York is strong. And I'm, I'm hopeful that we're going to get back there in the future. And we have plans to go to um, California and go to Davis and, and some others, and then uh, hopefully uh, take a trip to Copenhagen at some point in the future as well. Yeah, yeah. And keeping my fingers crossed here that uh, everybody behaves themselves and we can get our uh, numbers in a situation where we can uh, welcome y'all into the area. So, are there any spots available for those two groups uh, that you're thinking about for the fall, or are you all booked up at this point? As of right now, those two programs are full largely because we've broken those up into two smaller groups and people have already, our guests who were going to go to New York are just transferring over and, and we're going to shift and, and come to Austin. And so as of right now, uh, we're going to keep those groups small, uh, small footprint so that we can do that responsibly per COVID. And so right now, I don't foresee there being any spots available for those two trips. I can let you know if they do. What I would encourage is for some of your listeners who are listening to some of the things that we're talking about, and I would strongly encourage you to explore our build school right here in Northwest Arkansas. The four-day program is, we keep that small as well. The first two sessions this year, the first is in April, second is in May. We're capping those at seven participants. And so with staff, we are capped at 10 people. And so you will not have more than 10 people in your group. And that's going to be a really good option to help forward your understanding and thinking around, around bikes and bike infrastructure and culture. And so while the, the excursion is full for 2021, I would ask that some of your folks look at that build school because I think it's, um, I think it's something that they would really find a lot of value in. Fantastic. And you, do you have capacity for uh, additional study tour types of uh, activities there in Northwest Arkansas? You bet we do. Again, I think earlier in the year we do, we're trying to keep those numbers manageable for COVID. And so a lot of the focus for our study tours has been 
cities that were within kind of a couple hour driving radius that can drive in early of a morning, leave late of an evening. We kind of focus on a one day and try to keep that total group size to 10 or less. I think as we move into the fall, I think we're going to have, I'm hopeful, I should say, that we're going to have more flexibility to expand that. And we've, we've got capacity and room to host groups 25, 30 in, in size. And we've done that in the past. But per COVID, we're, we're really limiting the group size. So for our listeners who are super excited about, uh, you know, this cultural shift that Northwest Arkansas has been uh, engaged with over the past decade or so, what advice would you have for them if they'd like to make a difference in their neighborhood, in their community? Well, I think, I think from just a citizen and a resident of a city or neighborhood, I think what we, not I think, I'm going to be firm in this, we teach people specifically how to use their voice. And I think that's where a lot of citizens and residents might not fully understand or appreciate the value of their voice. Having worked on a lot of projects with cities and others, it is remarkable and almost unbelievable how a project can be either persist or derail based on a handful of voices. And when I mean a handful, I mean legit handful, five or less of the right voices can help a project move forward or take it down for consideration. And so what that means is as your elected officials and advocates are working to grow bike infrastructure and culture within your neighborhood, and projects move forward, there's going to be a lot of pushback. There, I mean, there just is. It's just, there's going to be pushback that comes up along the way. And what we ask and, and what we kind of empower people with is get involved. So talk to the mayor, talk to your elected officials, send an email, post on Facebook, keep it, keep it cordial. You know, let's not move into a, a troll state. But we, we talk a lot about using your voice and the power of your voice and how important it is to when a mayor or city council or the engineering department actually steps out there to do something, they need you. And they need that political cover. And they need that political capital that you can provide. Because I can promise you the people that are against it are calling. And if you're not, you know, you're going to see that project either taken up or not move forward because we talked about the majority user are vehicles and, and many of those people have no desire to ride and won't ride. And so they'll drive down a, a project and say, well, I'm not seeing anybody riding. And there's lots of reasons wh why that may be, but you have a voice. And as a citizen and as a resident, you have a voice and, and you need to use that because it is powerful because you can, you can help a city, you can shape policy just by being active and engaged. And sometimes, I know sometimes we can all get super frustrated by whether or not we're making a difference through an election or, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, sometimes apathy that can creep in, in particular, sometimes at the national level. But what I will say is at the local level, you, you know, your voice when you, when you speak up and, and you lean in, you're going to move the needle. It's hard for any of us to move the needle in D.C., but you can move the needle on a local issue just by getting involved. And so uh, lean in and uh, make your voice heard. Fantastic. I love that. Ryan, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you so much for uh, joining me on the Active Towns podcast. Yeah, what a, what a pleasure it was, John. Appreciate all the work that you're doing. And we're super excited about ways that we can partner moving forward. Thank you all so much for tuning in to episode number 59 of the Active Towns podcast. I certainly hope you enjoyed this conversation with Ryan Hale of Lane Shift and learning about the fabulous culture of activity success story that is developing in the Northwest Arkansas region. And make no mistake, having compelling narratives from smaller cities such as these really helps to provide inspiration to the thousands of communities out there that may have a hard time relating to large metropolises such as New York, Portland, Amsterdam, or even Austin. 
These active mobility and active living transformations truly are possible, feasible, and practical for cities of all sizes. Please be sure to check out all the photos and reference links included in this episode's landing page on our website, as well as in the show notes. A couple of quick reminders before we part ways. First, please don't hesitate to drop me a line if you have any thoughts on future guests or topics. My email is john, that's J-O-H-N, at activetowns, that's plural, dot O-R-G. It's always wonderful to hear from y'all. Second, well, you know I got to put one final fundraising plug out there. So if you're in a position to do so, please consider including us in your philanthropic plans. As a small nonprofit, I can assure you that your donations, no matter how small, add up and make a big difference in my ability to deliver this content. To make a contribution, just head over to activetowns.org and click on that blue donate link in the top right corner of the page. Thank you. Okay, that's all for this week. So until next time, this is John signing off by wishing you much activity, health, and happiness. Cheers. Cheers.